God exists and he has spoken. The ramifications of that short statement are incalculable. There's no way to quantify the amazing statement that is to shape our view about everything in life. There is a God. God exists. And he has spoken. He has shown us what pleases him. He has shown us the way of salvation. He has shown us what is right, what is wrong, both by conscience and by the word of God. God exists and he has spoken. I'd like to talk about the ramifications of that as it relates to death, something we don't normally talk about. But being a Christian and knowing Christ allows us to talk about it, to look death right in the face and say with Paul, Oh, death, where is your sting? Come on a journey with me and we will go briefly into this theme of death according to the Word of God. What does the Bible say about this? Now, this is actually the study of eschatology. Really, it is. It's the big picture of what happens in the end. So often we think of eschatology, the study of end times, eschatos being the Greek word logos, meaning the word of or the study of eschatos, eschatology, uh, end times. We, We often think of the minor details about when this happens, when that happens, and who the Antichrist is. Has he already come? Is he here? Is he on the map? Pin the tail on the Antichrist. Who is it? (laughs) And we want to know these things. And uh, there's a certain aspect where it's profitable to look at the Scriptures on these things. All Scripture is very, very vital and important, and God breathed. But the big picture in eschatology is not the little details. It's what happens after death, what happens because the Lord Jesus Christ returns, what happens as regards to the eternal state, in what kind of situation will we be as those who believe on Christ, what is heaven going to be like, is there a new heaven and a new earth, certainly there is, and a new Jerusalem, what's all that about, and what's my part in it? This is actually the study of eschatology. It's the big picture. On this, we should all be agreed. In fact, those who are what we would call full preterists, might be a new term to you, or hyper-preterists, they actually believe that anything and everything that's going to happen has basically all happened as regards to the coming of Christ, that there's nothing in the New Testament still to be fulfilled. And it's absolute heresy, heresy and uh, it, it is to be avoided like the plague, but if we're Orthodox Christians in any way, we believe that the future coming of Christ is in fact future, that he hasn't come back the second time and judged the world. It's ahead of us. And that's the big picture regarding eschatology. I want to talk about the promises of God. I was recently listening to a message by Bodhi Bauckham, the hope of heaven, I recommend it highly. And he talked about the fact that, something every father knows, he, he's reticent to make promises to his children being a father. Uh, he wants to think, now, can I actually do this? Can I actually 
pull this off before I promise it? Because he knows he has limitations. And he might have all the will in the world to do a certain thing, but there's times when fathers are not able to do what they've said. Not because of negligence, and they just brushed it off, but something happened. There was an automobile wreck. They couldn't get there. Something dramatic happened that caused them not to be able to fulfill the promise they made. And he said that, and every father, I think, could relate to that. But then he said, in words I'm summing up what he said, God is not like that. God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing. God is all-wise. He's all-powerful. That's omnipotent, omni, all, potent power. He's all-power. He's all-knowing. Omni, all, science or science, omniscience. He knows everything. He knows everything, past, present, and future. Before there ever was a thing, he knew all things. All the scriptures show us this. God is not learning anything. He knows the end from the beginning. He's the Alpha and the Omega. And he knows the end, not because he's taking in information, But he knows the end because he's declared the end. He has decreed all things. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. All things. God has made promises. And God can promise because he is this all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise God, knowing there'll never be a time ever when he has to say, I'm sorry, I just couldn't get it done. Oh, what hope that gives us. Biblical hope is not flippant hope or a fragile hope or a hope that might be disappointment in the end. I grew up in England and many young couples planning their wedding hoped for good weather for the day of their wedding. And they didn't always get it. Why? They live in England. The weather is very changeable and the wedding might be at 3 p.m. and it might look good weather-wise at 11.30 and even 2 o'clock, but that doesn't mean it's going to hold. The weather is very changeable. And so you would hope for good weather if you're going to have an outside wedding there in the summer in England, but you are not sure it's going to happen. Bible hope is very different. Bible hope is it's going to happen. And that's my hope. That's our hope. And we have the hope of the second coming of Christ. And we have the hope of heaven. And I want to talk about that. But to get there, heaven, we have to pass through something called death. I'd like us to go in our Bibles to Romans chapter 8. And I'd like us to look at familiar uh, territory here as we look at the scriptures. I remember being with an older Christian, and uh, I was a young Christian, maybe three or four years old in the Lord, and I was asked to quote Romans 8.28. Well, I thought I knew Romans 8.28 like any Christian would, and I said, all things work together for good. He said, no. I thought, what's wrong with him? That's, That's the verse. It's not verse 29 he's after, it's 28. He says, try again. I said, all things, no. He said, I said, what? No, that's not what it says. I thought, this, this, this guy, how does he not know his Bible? 
<laughs> Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And he said, no. He said, get your Bible out. I thought, well, I don't really need to. I know that's what it says. <laughs> and so I opened my Bible and read. And we know, he says, that's what you left out. Oh, those three words. And we know <laughs> that for all those who love God, all things work together for good. And he was making a point. It was very annoying at the time. <laughs> but he was right. The scripture actually says, for we know, or and we know. And the point he was making was, John, do you know it? You might understand the concept, but do you know it? Do you believe it? Is it part of you? And I like to talk about that as we study just a little bit about death. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And then we have this five-linked golden chain, as theologians refer to it, of foreknowledge, predestination, calling, justification, and glorification. I've, I've spoken at length about these things, but we must move on or else if we start that, we'll never get out of it. And then we see that in this five-link chain, God is the one who forges the links. God does all of the activity here. Man's actions are not in view. These are things that God does. He foreknew. He predestined, he called, he justified, he glorified. So certain is God that the justified will be glorified, that he speaks of it as if it's already a done deal. It's already done. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now in time, we can understand, hey, I know I'm justified, but I'm not yet glorified. Yeah, we're working out in time what God has decreed in eternity. And it's not some of those or some of these, it's all of them. All those he foreknew, he set his love on in eternity past, he predestined. And everyone that he predestined, he called, which is the effectual call of God. Every one of them come to faith because we see that they are justified and we're justified by faith. So he elected a people, he set his love on them, he predestined them, he called them, he justified them, and so certain is he of glorification, he can say, those whom he justified, he also glorified. Praise the Lord. And then verse 31 is the question that Paul asks and says, all right, what are we going to say in response to these things? What shall we say to these things? And some Christians' reaction is, I don't want to talk about that. You mentioned the P word predestination, uh, that's controversial. No, no that's, the, that's the wrong answer. Here's what we should respond with when we understand this message, when we know what we know from verse 28. We know that everything's working together for our good. Not for everybody. This is not true of everybody. But for those who are called according to his purpose. And for these people... Everyone is coming all the way from foreknowing to glorification. What should we say in response to these things? What shall we say to these things? There's a wrong answer. I'm not sure I like that. Here's the right answer. If God is for us, who can be against us? That should be our reaction to the promise made. What's the promise? It's really a statement of fact. 
God has a foreknown, predestined, called, justified, glorified people, and everyone will get there. No one falls through the cracks. It's not some of them, but all of them. And this is the right response. Wow, if God is for us, who can be against us? In other words, it doesn't matter who's against us. God's for us. That's the right response. Praise the Lord. Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, the us being God's elect people, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things, us being God's elect people? All things are not uh, physical possessions here. It's all things necessary in context, all things necessary so that we get to glory and we are conformed to the image of his son. That's the goal of everything. Verse 29, we're predestined not to simply heaven, as wonderful as that is, but we're predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. It's so beautiful. As much as finite creatures can be like the Lord Jesus, we will be like him. He'll graciously give us everything we need so we arrive at that Christ-likeness. And to show that he's still keeping this same theme in mind, he then asks another question. These series of questions are so helpful. Have you noticed? Everything here is a question. What then shall we say to these things? Question. If God is for us, who can be against us? Question. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Question. Next question. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Is that a new thought? The elect of God? No, it's the entire theme of the passage. And the answer is obvious, like the answer is obvious to all the questions that have been asked so far. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? The answer to that is really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the devil says. It doesn't matter what our conscience may be screaming. Think about that. What matters is what God says. And God in the courtroom is, is asking this question, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? And the inference is, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter who shows up and says, but they did this. God can say, but my son did this and has provided redemption. It is God who justifies. It's God's court and he's the one who justifies. And everything else and every other voice has to be silenced. Who is to condemn? Next, next question. Who's the one who condemns? It doesn't matter. That's the answer, isn't it? It doesn't matter who condemns. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, it was raised. Who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Slam dunk, everybody. This Lord Jesus died for us, was raised for us, and he lives for us now, interceding for us. And Jesus always gets his prayers answered. Praise the Lord. Then there's another question. Are you ready? Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Fearful Christian. You ever ask that? The stuff I'm going through. Can it separate me? This guy, that guy, this one's saying this. It's not just what, it's who. Who shall separate us? us being the elect of God, from the love of Christ. And then Paul gives a dramatic, lengthy list of all possibilities of things that could potentially separate us from the love of Christ. 
And what Paul does here, Christian, listen up, listen up. This is good news. What Paul does here is exhaust all potential possibilities so that he can then say at the end, nothing. (laughs) Nothing can separate us. Let's continue reading. He starts with the list, shall tribulation. That's big trouble. Or distress. Stressful situations. Or persecution. Or famine. Or nakedness. Don't even have any clothes. Or danger. Or sword. Now, sword speaks of death or severe injury, at least. But he hasn't finished. Verse 36, as it's written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Slaughtered, quoting the Old Testament. And what's the answer? He's listed a bunch of things. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. What's the answer? Well, there's a slight possibility. No, no. The next word is a thunderous negative word. No. No. If you're listening to this, say it out loud. No. That's right. No. In all these things, not some of them, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, us being God's elect people. More than conquerors. Hupo Nikeo. Over conquerors. More than conquerors. Beyond conquerors. Hyper conquerors through our own efforts no through him who loved us again paul never loses sight of the gospel it's about him who loved us verse 38 we talked about the no k-n-o-w verse 28 now look at verse 38 and how paul starts the sentence for i'm sure are you sure For I'm certain, another translation reads, for I'm sure of this, that neither death, there it is, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you see what he's doing here? I've already said it. He's exhausting all potential possibilities. Things that could potentially potentially separate us from the love of God. And he says, no. In all these things, we are hupanakeo. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm certain of this, that neither death... Now, I take this to mean... Everything in the realm of death. Everything that death could throw at us. Once we understand that it's the promise of God we're talking about, this is not like a father's promise on an earthly level where it may not be fulfilled. No, 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 no. We can be certain that nothing in the realm of death can separate us from the love of God and nothing in the realm of life can separate us from the love of God. 
No angel can do it. No ruler can do it. Nothing in the present. That's a whole lot of stuff. I started my day thinking it'll go a certain way. Get in my car and there's a problem with the car. I ended up an hour or so at discount tire. That's, that's things present. It wasn't a horrendous day. It just didn't go the way I like. Well, think of that magnified so many times. You think a day is going to go a certain way and it doesn't. Things present, they can cause you stress, family issues, health issues, financial issues, emotional issues. That's a whole lot summed up in things present. Any eventuality in the present. No, that's not going to do it. Nor things to come. All right, we're covered. <laughs> we're covered, folks. Anything in the future. Nor things to come. Nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else. Again, Paul's thinking, as he's using his quill, <laughs> what can I say? What else can I say? All right, anything else in all creation? Yep, that covers it. We're already covered by life and death. That covers it. Anything you're doing today, that's under the umbrella of life. Anything after death is covered by the word death and every component of death, every component of life, every component of death. And Paul says, writes, I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a bold statement of fact, and what a promise that means for us. I once spent an afternoon with a brother who's now with the Lord called Greg Francis, and he told me that two or three days before my time with him, he'd spent about two hours with a blank piece of paper in front of him, and he just wrote one phrase on it. The Bible alone is the Word of God. That's all he wrote on the piece of paper. The Bible alone is the Word of God, and he just stared at it and meditated on it and just thought through the ramifications, and he just thought this was a very profound moment in his life when he realized God has spoken. That's all I need. The Bible alone. It doesn't matter what someone else says, what any other organization says. Only the Scripture is the Word of God. It's the sole infallible rule of faith for the people of God. Summed up in the Latin phrase, sola scriptura. The Bible alone is the Word of God. Let's go to the Bible regarding death. And you and I will never be fearful people. Now, we can fear the process of death. I, I, I get that. But if we think and we meditate and we actually believe on what we read in our Bibles, all that relates to death, all that relates to life, every component of it, we're covered. Let's go to Psalm 23. Again, a familiar passage. Romans 8, so familiar to us. Psalm 23, so familiar to us. There are many people that the only thing they know of the Bible might be maybe John 3.16, but quite possibly beyond that. Psalm 23, 
Verse 1, the Lord, that's Yahweh, is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not be in need of anything. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Look at verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Let's just stop there for a moment. Though I walk through, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I've related before that for some time while I was uh, pastoring in England, it was a new church. Myself and another brother uh, were involved in this church plant. And uh, he worked as a gardener, and I worked with him as a gardener for a little while. And then I joined the post office uh, as a mailman, delivery man. And uh, in delivering mail, you normally go up to the door of each house, unlike here in the United States. And there's a a little hole, a a metal uh, plaque, and you push the plaque and there's room for letters to descend onto the floor of the house. It's, it's not something that uh, everyone is familiar with in America, but in certain parts of the country that still takes place. But anyway, that's the case in England. And to get to the door, you've got to normally open the gate, if there is a gate or if there isn't a gate, still navigate the fact that the pathway may be blocked by some kind of animal, by a dog usually, Hopefully it's chained up or got some kind of leash, but that's not always the case. And they are not always friendly dogs. And uh, on certain occasions, uh, male carriers and uh, male people will say to their manager, I was not able to uh, provide the mail for this particular house because of the dog. And so the manager has to make a note of it and find another way to deal with the situation. That's the manager's problem. But he didn't get to the door because there's a dog there threatening to bite. And many, a mailman, many a postman, as they're called over there, has suffered from dog bites. Well, here's a kind of silly illustration, but it's actually very helpful. No mailman, no postman has ever been bitten by the shadow of a dog. (laughs) the shadow of a dog never bit anyone look at your bible again even though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i'll fear no evil now death is real but for the christian it's merely a shadow and it's not going to bite you hallelujah even though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death I know death's coming. It's inevitable. It's coming. But I don't need to fear. I will fear no evil. Why? Because I learned some theology. Well, that can help, but that's not what David goes to right here. No, I'm not going to fear. I will not fear any evil for you are with me. Who's the you? Yahweh, my shepherd. Yahweh, my shepherd. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. 
Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord up to the time of my death. No, forever. I'm going to dwell in the house of Yahweh forever. I'm in his house now. I'll be in his house then. I'll be in his house forever. Why? For he's with me. He's going to help me as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. In this brief word, I want to end by simply reading the penultimate chapter in our Bibles, Revelation chapter 21. Chapter 22 is the final chapter. This is the chapter before it. And I'm simply going to read without comment. And my prayer is, as we hear this afresh, we'll fix our thought on the reality of the promise of this. God has promised this to everyone who knows him, all true believers. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. 
It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and the gates twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three, three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, twelve thousand stadia, its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring it, they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the truth, the security. the faithfulness of the Word of God and the author of it, God himself. Lord, we pray that you would write the truth of what death is and where we're going. New heavens, new earth, new Jerusalem. It takes death to get there. And everybody dies. 
But we don't need to fear, for you are with us. You are with us. You're the Lord, our shepherd. You're with us now. You'll be with us on that day. We thank you. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Death, where is your sting? For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Help us, Lord, to serve you in this life, to love you. May all we do, may all we think, may our heart meditations be stirred as an overflow of the fact as we started today, God exists and he has spoken. And this is the ultimate eschaton, the ultimate in eschatology. We will see our Savior's face. Thank you for these things. In Jesus' name.